Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Give Me the Fear, the Britflix podcast, Frightfest 2023 preview series. My name is Stuart Wright, and usually I host this show, but for this genre talent filled build up to the Woodstock of Gore, I'm keeping stumped. When this intro is done, this is the last you're going to hear from me until I ask you to tell your friends all about it. The spoiler-free interviews are brief, and across the entire series, you will discover the kind of knowledge and experience about how to make horror films that they just don't teach you at film school. Are you ready for that? After looking back at the blood, sweat and tears that went into their creative successes, I asked them one last question. If you could handpick one person to be in the audience, alive or dead, famous or personal to you, your fright first screening, who would it be and why? I think you're going to love the answers this question elicits. I certainly do. That's my introduction over with. Let's hear from the talent. So my name is Lindsay Crane um, and I play Jamie in How to Kill Monsters. So the film revolves around my character Jamie, who is the sole survivor of a blood-soaked massacre at a cabin in the woods. Um, The police arrive and Jamie is arrested for what's happened. She tries to tell them her story, but the police obviously don't believe her. However, she is proved to be very much right when monsters from another dimension invade the police station. So she has to team up with a bunch of rookie cops and lawbreakers to fight them all off and try to survive. So yeah, with the casting process, what's really exciting is um, a lot of the cast are returning from our previous film, Book of Monsters. Um, So I was really fortunate to be casting this one as well. Um, so we're all playing, it's not a sequel to Book of Monsters, but it's almost like a spiritual sequel because it's very similar vibes to Book of Monsters. Um, but we're all playing very different roles. And I think that's really exciting to see different cast in different roles. Um, and it was great to all come back together as well because the cast are absolutely fantastic. They're all so lovely um, and so great to work with. So I was so happy when Stuart asked me to be involved in this one as well. Um, yeah, it's just that Rift as a company are just absolutely fantastic to work with. So. So I think a fond memory, to be honest, there's so many because the film had such an amazing cast and crew uh, that honestly every day on set was incredible. But I think one of the funniest memories to have is any of the days that the cast were going to be getting covered in blood. Um, It was always funny as we'd all kind of be sitting there watching in horror as the crew would walk in with these big blood cannons and buckets of blood 
that we knew were just about to be thrown all over us. <laughs> so we just have to sit there and, and watch that all happen. Um, but there was also the moment after the blood had been thrown over us and Stuart, the director, would yell cut and there'd just be this kind of silence of shock at the amount of blood that's been poured all over everyone. Um, but then everyone would be laughing and, <laughs> and talking about it. But there was then also the moment of the realisation that that amount of blood would then have to be reapplied every day on set from that point onwards for continuity. Um, <laughs> that was always a, you look in the mirror and you think, oh no, <laughs> this is how much I'm going to have to have on me all the time now. So that's always a funny, uh, a funny moment to have. <laughs> yeah, for any of the action scenes involving the monsters, um, yeah, Stuart was very good at um, describing exactly what he wanted. And obviously we used all practical effects um, with the monsters as well. So that was obviously really useful. Um, and Dan Thrace, who um, is one of the actors in the film, he does has a lot of um, stunt work background. So he was able to work with us a lot in terms of how to use the weapons and things. So it was all done, obviously, in a very safe, safe way. Um, but yeah, having the monsters in front of us, I think, really, really helps um, because you are able to really get into the action of it all. Um, but yeah, Stuart's very good at um, describing exactly what he wants. So we're able to kind of get into character really well. But we're, we're able to put our input in as well of what we think the character would do and how they'd react. Um, so, yeah, it's always really fun kind of coming up with coming up with that as a collaborative effort. So, yeah, if I could pick anyone to be in the screening, I do have to say it would be um, like my parents and my sister, just because they're the most supportive family ever. And I'm always wanting to make them proud. So to kind of have them in the audience would be, yeah, would be uh, incredible, definitely. My name is Tarek Sayed. I'm the writer, director and one of the producers for Isaac. Isaac follows the story of grief-stricken parents who have lost their first child to um, genetic disease, and they're given the opportunity to create their own ch another child um, through a company called GeoGroup, who um, specialise in lab-grown meat. And so they enrol on these trials and genetically engineer their perfect child. But as you can imagine, things don't quite go to plan. The child kind of develops um, into well something that they weren't expecting. He becomes dangerous and sort of wreaks havoc on the, the parents' lives. Um, and they're forced to kind of keep him upstairs, sort of locked away while they try to uncover the truth about you know, why exactly he's, he's uh, sort of behaving like that. A fond memory that I have of uh, pre-production and, and script development um, is sort of way back at the beginning when I had finally completed a first draft that was in... Uh, 2019 and I basically sent it to um, somebody I knew a friend of mine called Rory McCall who's a script writer um, who's actually Katrina's brother and um, obviously I was completely sort of terrified of what he would say it was the first time that I've kind of sent it to anybody to look at it with a with a critical eye and uh, but much to my kind of delight you know he actually he saw something in it which um he saw that there was a story there that that, that had potential. Uh, and the script was only sort of 45 pages. It started as a short film. Um, but subsequently, he kind of came on board as uh, as a script um, consultant for throughout the project. So we kind of spent the next few months, and it turned into a few years, uh, just sort of exchanging emails, um, essay-long emails, literally, you know, hundreds of them. Uh, just 
he was giving his advice. We were just sort of uh, working on the characters together. Um, uh, the story, he was sort of highlighting what's important and the themes and things like that. And, uh, and we developed a really nice uh, working relationship, um, sometimes over email, some, mostly over email. And then sometimes um, I would be, he kind of lives in the countryside, sort of in Herefordshire. So occasionally I would meet up and um, go to the pub and, we'd, you know, we'd chat about the story. And he just kind of really guided me, guided me through it. Um, and I owe a lot to him and yeah, the script just sort of de- kept developing over the, the, the course of a few years and, um, ended up where it is today really. And without him, I don't think it would have, um, you know, it would have found a voice. The kind of the unique thing about this, or the unconventional thing about this project is, um, because we shot it over the course of you know, three years, um, almost four years from conception to, to completion, um, pre-production, production and post-production all sort of rolled into one. So, you know, we'd be, uh, editing a scene in, uh, in July and we'd have a shoot plan in, um, in August. Um, but one of the, uh, one of my favorite kind of scenes, the plan was actually very late in production and we'd already edited most of the film. Um, but we had this one kind of pivotal scene, uh, which was a, is a nightmare sequence, and it was kind of going to bring all the sort of horror elements together. And we basically needed a um, uh, a location to kind of a location to um, stand as a an asylum, as a sort of a, a, a surgery theatre of of, the, of somebody's nightmare kind of thing. Um, and so my producing partners and I, we all actually went to the same school. We were all you know, all childhood friends, and we we thought, why don't we contact our old school to try and see if we can shoot something in there? Because you know, we, if we dress it up right, it'll it'll probably look the part. So, um, so basically, we we contacted them, and and they gave us free roam to kind of go in there, and we ended up going in there sort of once a week for the next um, month and a half or something, or two months, just after school hours, uh, just us and the caretaker, just sort of. Trying to, trying to plan this scene and we kind of went into our old um, exam hall. We went into the old drama theatre and basically just kind of took over the whole the whole place. Um, and then eventually we we uh, got you know we got we the scene kind of became a, quite a big moment in the in the film, and we realised we needed sort of more extras and and so we ended up taking over the whole the whole. Um, a whole section of the school for about for a whole weekend um, with, you know, sort of eight or 10 extras, uh, quite a big crew. And then Katrina came and Johnny came and yeah, we kind of, we took over and it was, it just felt like we'd kind of come full circle almost because, you know, obviously we'd spent our childhood there uh, and now to be back there with, with, a, with the film crew, um, it was a really nice moment actually that we, um, yeah, it was, it was just a, it was a really nice moment um, because, you know, we, we'd spent years trying to avoid the exam hall and, and you know, any of the drama, but we came back and uh, and it was really good fun, actually. No, so basically a, a portion of the film was shot uh, just before lockdown, so uh, just at the beginning of 2020, and 
so it kind of it meant that I basically spent the whole of lockdown um, with my editor on Zoom, just going through the whole film. Um, and the editor is actually also the DP, and he's also a, a, a good childhood friend of mine. Um, and it meant that we had a real kind of structure throughout lockdown and it really it just got us through it basically we had a real real kind of structure to the day you know we'd get up at nine or ten ten a.m um and do eight hour days just on zoom just getting the film to where it needed to be um so that was back in 2020 so we had already kind of had a real um significant part of the journey done uh and then obviously we filmed more material and um and then uh, we were finally able to sit down in a room together um, uh, to edit the film. And he actually lives just down the road from me, like literally just down the road, you know, five less than five minutes um, walk. And so it was a, a really nice moment to just kind of like be in the room together and, and watch the film. Uh, and because we'd grown up together, um, it was kind of, it was really nice to be able to just, just sort of see the finished product almost and um and seeing it come together every day uh and kind of going on this this journey together and and the fact that it was sort of all rolled into one you know post-production uh the same time as shooting and everything it was very grueling uh but uh it meant that we could you know because he was the dp as well we we could just be editing a scene and then we might say oh you know we could do with an insert of a steak or something like that uh, so we'd just, you know, the next day we'd quickly go and grab the shot and and edit it, you know, <laughs> pretty much in, in uh, within 24 hours, you know, it was in the, in the scene. Um, so, I mean, it's not a conventional way to make a film. I probably wouldn't want to do that again um, in terms of, you know, I'd rather, obviously I'd rather just shoot everything at the same time. <laughs> um, but it was a real learning experience, that's for sure. So if I could choose anybody to be at the Frightfest screen. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It would be Peter Jackson, uh, director of Lord of the Rings. Um, just because when I saw Lord of the Rings as a kid, it literally just made me want to to make films. And um, kind of growing up, it was his kind of style that I, I wanted to emulate. And um, and I've always kind of loved his you know do it yourself attitude with with filmmaking, roping in all your mates on on the weekend and trying to trying to get a, a film together. It's sort of what I tried to do as a kid as well and, and, uh, and, and kind of still am doing now. Um, so it was really his early work as well that, that, that inspired me. Um, and of course, watching the sort of behind the scenes of Lord of the Rings, there's, you know, it's a whole kind of um, epic movie in itself. Just, uh, and, and it's really, it was my film school as a, as a, as a young filmmaker. Um, and I mean, even if, you know, this, my style isn't quite the same as, as his, um, uh, I like to think that, uh, you know, I, I still really aspire, um, I, I still really look up to him and, um, and try to emulate his approach to filmmaking. Um, but of course, I would be absolutely terrified to, to know what he, he would think of my film, but um, at least it would give me a chance to, to meet him and, and say thanks. I am Jake West, and I am the director and editor of The Mancunian Man, The Legendary Life of Cliff Twemlow, which is a documentary about the fascinating life and times of Manchester's finest, Mr. Clifford Twemlow. Twemlow, and it sounds like you've got a bit of a speech impediment when you say his name, Twemlow, but it is, it is actually spelled like that, T-W-E-M-L-O-W, Twemlow. <laughs> For, for me, the, the journey of this documentary started when I did the Video Nasties um, set. You know, the, um, Video Nasties, The Divinity Guide, Volume 1, which had the, the first Video Nasties documentary that you know, Stuart. Um, we, we did that documentary, and Cliff's film, GBH, is one of the original Video Nasties. So that's when I first, I first learned about Cliff when we were doing that, that work. And... It was meeting C.P. Lee, who was a lecturer at Salford University, and he was probably the keenest and biggest fan of Cliff and an, an advocate for getting Cliff's work seen and heard. And I hadn't realised that Cliff, outside of GBH, had done all of these other movies shot on video in the 1980s. And C.P. Lee was telling us about all these other films, which at that time I'd never heard of, films like Eye of Satan and Firestar and Eve Island. and it was kind of like there was this whole world of these Cliff movies that I realised that I knew nothing about. And um, C.P. Lee had written a book with Andy Willis, and both C.P. and Andy are in the documentary, Mancunian Man documentary. They wrote a book called The, um, the Lost World of Cliff Twemlow, which is a really great read. If you, if you want to go further into your Cliff Twemlow excitements, <laughs> then and I would fully recommend that book. So that was a great research point. So because when I started this journey, I hadn't seen all of these films and I didn't know 
the names of all of the kind of key players, the people that Cliff worked with. So as I got more and more and more immersed in the world of Cliff, not only was it all coming alive to me and I was seeing the films for the first time, I was also then meeting the people from the films. So that journey started, I guess, with the, the original Video Nasties set when I met, met C.P. Lee. And sadly, C.P. Lee is no longer with us. So um, he'll never get to see this documentary, which is a shame. Um, but I, I really hope, I think that he would be absolutely delighted that this documentary has been made about Cliff because he was the man that really waved the Twemlow flag long before anybody else. So thank you, CP. <laughs> it's an interesting one just because with a documentary, you never exactly know where you're going to end up or where people are. But with this film, um, because most of the people Cliff worked with were locals from the people that he knew in Manchester. So, I mean, you're a Mancunian, Stuart, so you know Manchester very well, but I'm a Londoner and I've got, I've got Mancunian friends and they always tell me how great Manchester is, but I didn't, hadn't really experienced it. So it was a, it was a great um, opportunity to go and see Manchester properly and be taken around to places in Manchester that you would never have been aware of and seeing these places where Clifford shot the films as well. So I think it was a nice journey for me to... It brought the film and Cliff's world more alive, being in the places where he shots and hearing the stories of his friends, who are still, most of them are still local Mancunians, so they're, they're there. But the, there's a couple of people that had moved away from Manchester, like Jane Cunliffe, who, who plays the, 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 the lead female part in GBH. And she now lives sort of just outside kind of North Watford somewhere. So that, that was a bit more down south, but she's a Mancunian. But like she said, she, in the documentary, she beat the accent out of herself so she would be taken more seriously for roles at that point. So she doesn't sound Mancunian, which is interesting. She's got very sort of RP sound. Um, and she'll be coming along to the premiere at Frightfest, which is um, August 27th. So if you've got your copy of GBH and you want it signed, bring it with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 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 the journey, the journey of meeting people and discovering Manchester, I think that was one of the, the kind of treats, the delights of making this film. The, the, the very interesting thing, as you, because I make narrative features as well as documentary features, um, the way that I describe the process of the edit in a documentary is a documentary is sculpture and a narrative is a blueprint. And because when you're making a documentary, every time you interview something, it can change the story. It changes, it changes the perspective of what, what the edit can be. So, and because, the doc, because we shot this documentary over a three-year period, we were waiting to see if we could get hold of people or find people, you know, um, so you would interview some person, one person, and I would edit stuff. Um, then literally maybe six months later, we then did another block of interviews. And what they said then completely changed my perspective on, on what the other people were saying, or it brought new things to light. So it's a continually sculpting process of actually you're sculpting the story and you're beginning to sort of, you, you don't know what the themes of Cliff life's going to be or how people's, or what, what people's memories or those shared moments, which, in the documentary, it becomes, you know, you really get some real fascinating insights into, into Cliff's process and maybe the shape of his life and his film career because he was very much in this sort of boom and bust way that he works. It's like all the excitement of shooting and all the craziness of the things that are going on the shoot and things going wrong. And then often the film then wouldn't get released or he wouldn't get it finished. And But he was 
he just wanted to start making another movie straight again. And there's this interesting kind of cycle of events that you begin to sort of um, unearth when you're doing a documentary. So, so that process of, yes, yeah, sculpting the story from, from all of the different interviews and the different archive and things that we found along the way made it a fascinating process. So it's very much is a story that you discover in the editing. And it's also something as a filmmaker, you're continually learning from, as you go along, every interview brings something new to the table. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a dive and, you know, you're always unearthing new bits. So that was an interesting process on this. I suppose the biggest revelation for me about Cliff Twemlow, as I found out more about him, was his, his insane desire just to succeed in, in so many different areas, whether it was, I didn't know he had written 2,000 pieces of music for the DeWolf Music Library. I mean, that was, it seems insane, you know, and that's in many ways how he funded his career and his films uh, because of the royalties that he got from that music. So that was a massive um, revelation for me. But then, I mean, I'd known that he had written a horror novel, The Pike, which he then tried to make into the film, which is another completely mad and fascinating story. But, but But the fact that he wrote he wrote a, a couple of horror novels. Um, he wrote another one um, about a kind of devil dog. Um, I've got the title. The Beast of Cain. Yes. Okay. So so Cliff, he wrote these two horror novels, The Pike and The Beast of Cain. And The Beast of Cain is one that he he tried to sell that to Hammer. <laughs> and there was at one point, it looked like the Hammer Studios was interested in making that, but that never came to fruition. That was another kind of thing that just sort of crashed and burned. But with Cliff and then reading his own autobiography as well, Tuxedo Warrior, about his times on the doors as a doorman in Manchester. That's a really fascinating read. And once again, you find out another aspect of Cliff's life, this, this whole world of doormen and the whole, the whole way that he would deal with difficult characters. But he had quite a fascinating sort of um, childhood and growing up, you know, from very working class roots where you know he went he went and worked as a as a seaside, a seaside town and he was working as a, a bouncer and a singer <laughs> at the same club and he was having some of these strange romantic encounters and there's things in the book there's personal bits of his story which we didn't have time to go into into the documentary because we wanted to, we were really primarily sort of talking about his films but if you the more you read about Cliff the more you kind of get to like him so if you really want to know about Cliff Twemlow I would say reading his his autobiography of his early years and his time on the doors, the tuxedo warrior is a great read. So that's another thing. So you, you know, you, you, you soon get sucked into the cliff, the rabbit hole, the cliff verse. (laughs) Well, there can only be one answer to that and it would have to be Cliff Dwemlo because unfortunately, I don't know if the audience knows this, but Cliff died in 1993. So, he he really died. He had made all these films, and and he never really got a chance to maybe see many of them released or know that many of them were even a success. So, if if it were possible to to bring Cliff to that screening and for him to see that his work is being appreciated, you know, forty years later, a time when he was just doing it for the craziness and the fun of it, for him to actually see that his um, his life has sort of inspired people and and maybe that they 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 feel that they can maybe finally appreciate some of the things that he did <laughs> um and for cliff as well who 
you know, he shot his films on video in the 1980s, apart from one, which was shot on 16 mil, but pretty much he shot all of his work on video. Now, the fact that, that his, <laughs> this documentary is being screened on the IMAX screen in the Empire Leicester Square, one of the, probably one of the most premier cinemas in the world in terms of picture and sound. Like the, it's, it's so typically a Cliff Twemlow thing. It's, it's almost like it shouldn't happen. Like Cliff Twemlow, I think that he would be absolutely overjoyed and delighted and find it absolutely hilarious that he has now finally got to the Empire Leicester Square. So I wish he could be, so he would be the guy and I'd love to, because I'd love to have met him and you get the feeling he was such a fun and interesting person to hang around. But I kind of feel that I've got a chance to sort of sort of know him through making this documentary. But yeah, he would be the guy that I wish could be in the audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with at least one friend. Put a link out on social media, rate and review it for your preferred podcast platform. Put an ad in Lou, Novel the Town Crier, whisper in the ear of the town gossip. You get the picture. It all helps bring new people into the Britflix podcast fold. Thank you. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.